HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The following program has been brought to you by Rolling Press, a family-run, eco-friendly printing company. For more information, visit rollingpress.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. All right. Thank you for tuning in to the Heritage Radio Network. We are coming to you from the back of Roberta's Pizza in beautiful Bushwick, Brooklyn. You're listening to The Farm Report, and I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks. Today, we are on the line with Distribution Manager of Bonnie Plants, Sydney Phelps. Sydney, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Erin. Hope you're doing well today. I am doing great. I'm definitely excited to um, tuck into our conversation today and help get folks prepared to, to do some spring planting. So I thought we would start off by getting a little bit of a sense of the Bonnie Plants background. Can you tell us a little bit more about the company and, and what you sure. guys do? Yeah, that's not a problem. Bonnie Plants uh, was actually established in 1918 by Bonnie and Livingston Polk. Um, they were uh, from Florida and they moved here to the location where our company still headquartered today in Union Springs, Alabama. And uh, it's been family-run uh, from the founders all the way to present-day uh, grandsons. Uh, our actual C, uh, president now is Stan Cope. He's the grandson of Livingston. Um, his father and mother were involved with it and, you know, so on and so forth. But, uh, you know, everything's kind of based here um, locally in Union Springs as far as a corporate uh corporate runs, but, you know, we've got numerous growing facilities across the nation, and, uh, you know, we service all of the lower 48 uh, in the in the country. Wow. So can you tell us a little bit, um, you know, as the company has grown over, gosh, several, several decades, um, you know, what have been some of the kind of core plants um, or signature, signature items for you guys? Well, really, it started all off by, uh, you know, a pound of or two pounds of cabbage seed. Uh, that's what they initially started planting, and they were selling produce. And the produce started, and it kind of changed into the transplants, and when they were growing actual field plants and harvesting them up uh, as small transplants into bunches. So bunches was a huge uh, business of us from the very beginning all the way through the uh, uh, early mid-'70s, early-'80s, 
And then we started really going in with the containers and more greenhouse-driven uh, through the 80s and 90s. And, and now it has just kind of boomed in, in today's you know market of you know single containers, uh, specialty containers, specialty items. A lot more herb-driven, where the core of the of the company was originally started around cabbage and cold crops and produce of tomatoes, to now where, you know, we've got numerous varieties of tomatoes, herbs, peppers. It's more of a driven to the younger gardener, so to speak, as the consumer uh, consumer basis has has evolved. Nice, and I know, I mean, it's definitely been helpful for me to visit the website, uh, com. You guys have so many great resources there for people new to gardening, and maybe you can tell us about a couple of those. Oh, the website is loaded down. We've got an amazing team uh, that that works with us uh with our marketing group, and they're absolutely fantastic. The, the website has got, uh, you know, the dealer finders. You can go on there, type in your zip code or your city, find out what, uh, you know, retail outlets in your area. You can find the Bonnie plants. It tells the history of the company, all of the varieties. Uh, you know, you get specific. Uh, whether you want a Better Boy tomato or a Bonnie Bell pepper, you can go on there, see the average size that it gets, learn how to grow it, watch videos on how to plant it and care for it. You can see uh, exactly how long it should take for it to be mature, what you should expect. If you're a novice gardener, you like tomatoes, but you don't know what's going to work with you, there's a tomato finder, so you can look for determinate or indeterminate tomatoes, yellow, red, or pink, large, small, I mean, any type of thing, whether you want a salad tomato, a cherry tomato, but the content, we have staff that blog about their personal gardens, uh, videos of behind-the-scenes tours, uh, just a little bit of everything for for the gardener, whether you whether you're you know you're just doing it for a hobby or it's something that you really just enjoy and it's kind of part of your lifestyle. You can get on there and just lose yourself in the time and and learn so much uh, content from the site. Yeah, I know that's definitely the way a lot of gardeners up in in our region here in New York spend the December, January, February month is like, you know, flipping through the seed catalog, taking a peek through the website and, you know, doing their kind of dream plant out uh, for the spring summer season. Now, it's that spring it's that spring swimsuit for gardens. Exactly. Exactly. Um so in your can you tell us a little bit about your role at, as distribution manager, kind of what you, what is your day-to-day look like and and yeah. what do people look uh, to you for? I'm based here in Union Springs at the corporate headquarters. Uh, I'm a distribution manager, a part of a, a three-man team. Uh, the three of us kind of oversee all of the sales reps um, here based out of our corporate offices. We have about 30 sales reps that service um, the state of Alabama, parts of Georgia, and the panhandle of Florida. They all run from here, and we coordinate uh, their loads. We schedule the plants that go out. Uh, to the retailers in the growth stages, we uh, walk our greenhouses, do a physical inventory, keep our eyes on the product and stage their growth that we have the best product on available of the shelves, and uh, we distribute those out to our sales reps as well as some of our other stations across the country if they may need particular products or if they, you know, the demand is higher and we need to ship them some stuff as a support. Uh, we do that, uh, you know, on a day-to-day basis. Our Real core time for us is February through about June, and it kind of it tails off a little bit. But being in the South where we are, it's kind of a constant trickle of, of flow, so to speak. Yeah, that makes sense. And now you guys 
have kind of grow centers in different spots around the country. Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, why that is and why consumers should be excited to hear that? Well, that's the one thing that really separates Bonnie from a lot of its competitors is the fact that rather than being a large greenhouse company that has one core distribution point and they ship things out on trailers uh, constantly to a different thing, that's a huge misconception of people think that all of the Bonnie plants come from Alabama, and that's not true. We have uh, over 60 uh, regional greenhouses all across the southern uh, United States, or not southern United States, but the lower 48, uh, that the consumer, whenever our trucks are running, are getting the freshest locally grown plants that they can get. It's grown in the thing, grown in your area, and the the biggest uh, pro for that or advantage for that is that they're adaptive to the lifestyle of which they're going to be put in the garden. They're not grown in a hot southern climate and taken directly to uh, Brooklyn, for example, where you are. Your plants are grown in New Jersey and Pennsylvania and right in the weather conditions. So whenever you get ready to set them out in the garden, they're going to be ready for that. And can we talk a little bit about the, you know, I think it's like one of those things folks never really think about this idea of, you know, freshness in their in their plants as they're looking to bring things into their garden. Um, how, how important is that and how fresh is fresh, so to speak? Uh, it's it's a huge importance, and that's what we really pride ourselves on is is to be, you know, well known for our product and having the you know the most vigorous plants and and the most healthy plants that you can find at the store. And really, you know, when you're getting our product, the plug stage uh, from seed to plug takes about four to six weeks, depending on the plant. Uh, they go into the greenhouse as a transplant, and they are anywhere from two to four. Uh, to five weeks old once they hit the shelves at the store, you know, that's uh, in the peak season when things are just kind of gentle along, so to speak. Uh, And once those plants hit the shelves, you know, they're ready to go in the garden. They're going to start going for you right then that you're going to, if you follow the correct methods of gardening, you're going to get the, you know, very best out of that plant. Now, and I know like one of the things that's interesting and, and I think sets Bonnie apart from other resources for, for plants is your size. And, and that means like when, a com- when an organization of your size makes a change that you have a, a pretty broad impact. And I know a few years ago was that you guys switched to using, um, you know, bio- biodegradable pots. And can you talk a little bit about the impetus for that decision and, and what you think the impact has been? We've been using biodegradable pots now for 10-plus years. Uh, we were one of the first ones that really started it out. Um, you know, that's that's something that kind of separates us from other brands. Like you said, a lot of them use plastic pots, flats, you know, that can't be recycled. Uh, and for the most part, what we try to do with all of our setups is have those biodegradable plots that go straight into the soil, planting everything. The pot disintegrates over time. The roots grow through it. Um, everything kind of becomes part of the earth. There's no transplant shot for the plant. Once it goes in, you know, it's there, it's part of the unit of your garden, and it's growing. Uh, You know, one of the best things about that is, as you were talking about the plastics, more than, uh, you know, 200 or 300 million pounds of plastic is not in the landfill because we're using biodegradable pots. And the other advantage of that is our flats and everything, once they age and deteriorate, they're not going into a landfill. They go back to our supplier, get reused, recycled, and right back into our our product line. Nice. And where, I mean, what's the best way for people to find Bonnie plants? 
the best possible way for you to find Bonnie Plants, there's multiple ways, but with the way the social media aspect is now, you've got Facebook, you've got Twitter, you've got Pinterest. We're on all of those as well as a YouTube channel. You can follow us on there, you know, go to our Facebook page, tell them you heard Sydney on the on the radio, like the page. Follow all of our updates. We're constantly shooting pictures from greenhouses uh, all across the country and, and you know, kind of antagonizing or, or getting the anticipation up for our gardeners to see just exactly what's going on behind the scenes. But most importantly, you can go to bonnieplants.com, and that is where the fruit of knowledge that we have available is located at. Nice. And, and speaking of that fruit of knowledge, I mean, you got you you had mentioned that people on staff do a little bit of blogging. But I mean, if I have kind of a specific question, is there a way to reach out to you? Exactly. We've got a full customer service line, uh, and it's not automated. You put in a request on our uh, section, and you have a customer uh, inquiry. You're trying to find if this plant's available in your territory or you've got a question about how to grow this or how to plant that. It goes to our staff here in Union Springs uh, along with several master gardeners that we're associated with and they will reply back to you via email to get your information. If you're looking for where you can buy the plants, you can go on the retail finder, punch in your zip code. It gives you a listing of every store around your area that carries our product. So just about any question you could have, there's an answer available through that. Nice. Well, I want to um, take, we're, we're going to take a, a short break. When we come back, I want to kind of talk through some of the varieties that I've been thinking about this summer and hear a little bit, or spring, I guess, and hear a little bit more uh, about some suggestions and what I can expect out of the planting season. And this one's percolating by Obesity on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today. Today's program has been brought to you by Rolling Press. Rolling Press is a family-run commercial offset print house that brings together environmentally friendly methods, ethical practices, and personalized service. Founded in 1998 by Eugene Lee and his father, Cam Lee, Rolling Press represents the harmony of traditional craftsmanship and green technology. Rolling Press prints using soy and vegetable inks, uses a variety of certified and recycled papers, and they incorporate a chemical-free production process. For more information, visit rollingpress.com. All right, we are back. You are listening to the Heritage Radio Network. We are on the line with Sydney Phelps, the distribution manager for Bonnie Plants. Now, 
Sydney, I, like I have a little confession to make. I am not much of a gardener, and um, I, every year I like say I'm gonna I'm gonna make a change, and usually I buy one or two plants that end up kind of dying on my windowsill. So I'm hoping that with your expertise, you can kind of talk me through some of the the best varieties that I should be looking for. People like me who are, are kind of newer to the gardening world, and and talk a little bit about how much we should be getting and, and how we make some of those decisions and what kind of what to look for. So if you had to recommend, you know, a couple of uh, plants, what, what would be kind of at the top of your list? Well, the first thing is, Aaron, what I want to find out is how big of an area do you have to garden? I have uh, like a little bit of a backyard space. So I would say, you know, like three feet by uh, six feet um, and then... But so so I can I can plant in the ground there, or we have kind of a a raised like cement area that we could do potted stuff on too. Okay, that's real simple. Uh, the biggest thing is is and the most important thing anytime anybody is gardening is what type of space that they're out of. You had an apartment with a balcony, and you can put a few pots out. Do you have uh, a backyard, but you don't really want to dig into the ground? You'd rather do a raised bed or do containers. So that's kind of the, the best way to set it up. As far as the in the ground goes. Uh, if you've got the space, any type of indeterminate tomato is good. You need to find out kind of what you're looking for, though. Are you looking for that tomato that is great for sandwiches? Are you looking for the tomato that's good for salads or just the one that snacks or for sauces? Um, in that case, you know, the Bonnie Original Tomato is a great tomato. Uh, it was one that we created in 1967 with the Pito Seed Company. And, uh, you know, we've done actually here at our corporate offices we've got an acre and a half trial garden that we trial all of our varieties in as well as we are in some new varieties to see if we want to put them onto our program but uh you know we do five plants of each thing panning in containers and we average just about 35 pounds per plant wow on a bonnie original so that that's something that's going to produce uh tomatoes constantly and i really uh especially uh, in your area, you know, I kind of favor more towards the indeterminate because an indeterminate is not going to bear all of its fruit at one time. Uh, they, you know, constantly uh, give, as whereas as a determinate is a more bushier tomato. If you have a, a lack of an area, uh, you can't really uh, have things go viney and grow out. You want to go to a determinate tomato that's smaller, more compact, but it's going to bear the majority of its fruit at one time, but it will, ste- will still bear fruit. So the determinate indeterminate, can you just break that down for me? What exactly does that mean? Sure. An indeterminate tomato is a, is a tomato that is a vine-style tomato. It's going to grow as long as you let it grow. It's going to get as tall as you want to see. I've seen sweet 100 plants nine foot tall. As long as you cage it or as long as you stake it, it's going to keep going. But they bear their fruit continuously. Once it starts bearing after that 60 or 70 days, they're going to keep putting on fruit as long as the plant is healthy until the season's over with. A determinate is kind of like your husky cherries. They're a small, stockier plant that's only going to be three to four foot tall, and they're just going to put on a large amount of fruit at one time and still give fruit through from there on out. Okay, so then I can kind of decide whether I want to have one kind of bountiful harvest or be able to do like snacking throughout the summer. Exactly. It's kind of if you look at you look at your produce farmers. A lot of produce farmers use determinate style tomatoes because it can bear everything off. They can clean their fields out one time and get it to market. Whereas if you're you know if you're doing sauces, 
uh, you know, we generally can or put up at one specific time of the year, and that's why they do that. They can get the majority of their tomatoes off of the plant and do everything that they'd like to do. Uh, for a backyard garden, you want to find something that's semi-determined or indeterminate. Uh, you know, if you've got the space, then you can just kind of snack along as it goes through. Got it. But that's just tomatoes. I mean, there's several different varieties of peppers. If you like sweet peppers or hot peppers, we've got the habaneras, the jalapenos. The coolest thing we've got now is called a yummy bell. It's a snacking pepper. You really, really can just walk right up into the garden and pick it up, bite into it, and it's just a nice little sweet snacking pepper. You've probably seen them in the stores before. So with the peppers, I noticed some of them have like a, a, a heat unit ratings. It's a, that's right. What is it, Scoville? Or? Yeah. We added uh, that you know we we do a lot of uh, we kind of that's that's one one of the good things here is we all kind of try to share input about things in our office and what the cons- consumer may want want to find out or and just some things that we like to hear and the biggest thing is is everybody likes hot peppers these days you see these contests on TV of you know the spicy challenge for this everybody's getting into spicier food well a lot of the times. We want to make sure that our consumers have the most knowledge they get when they get to go buy their products. So we added the actual Scoville units, which is the uh, capsaicin levels in the pepper of how hot it will get. You know, there are several uh, that are absolutely out of this world, like the ghost chilies or, you know, whatnot. But due to specific reasons, we don't really carry those for liability issues. So our hottest pepper that we carry is the habanero or the scotch bonnet. Uh, but we go through the Tabascos, the Jalapenos, all the way to the sweet bananas and the hot bananas. So it kind of adds a good flavor to what whatever you're looking for. So am I understanding you right? There's some peppers that are just, like, too hot to handle, huh? Pretty much, pretty much. There, there, there are varieties that are out there that we just don't even want to go near because, you know, it can get in the hands. You know, we're looking at it from a from a basis of we know whenever you get it, we want to make sure that you know what you've got. And if somebody else was to accidentally get into it, there's no telling, especially with some of those that are just out of this world on the heat scale. Got it. So what about um, what about with greens? I mean, and I'm wondering with greens in like different parts, different regions of the country, like if I wanted to grow, you know, kale or collards or lettuces here, would you recommend one above the other? And would that change if I was, say, located in like Florida or, you know, the Pacific Northwest? It's really kind of, you know, specific to the region. I mean, you have different things that are hot in different areas. Uh, it kind of depends on your... Uh, I guess the best way to say is kind of what what's around you uh, economically wise or you know what type of cultures you're around if you have a latin culture if you have more of an asian you know that that kind of flares uh to that area so to speak uh you know in the south collards and cabbage are big as you get into more metropolitan areas you get into the arugulas the kales the swiss chards the radicchio uh you know it just kind of determines kind of what area you're in as to what's available and what you like um I uh, I'm not a real big fan of cabbage and collards, but I do plant you know uh, lettuce bowls and and broccoli uh, kind of things to have fresh fresh salads available. But uh, the other stuff is you know it's all available. It just really kind of depends on the consumer and what they like. So I mean, one of the things that it's like I I want to kind of arm people to be prepared for like when they get home to have everything they need. So aside from picking up the, the actual plant, um, what else do, do you recommend for folks to do to kind of get ready to plan or other equipment or stuff that they should have on hand? 
Best thing I can recommend you do, if you're getting ready to do a garden, let's say this is your first time gardening, so let's start off from the ground level. Look at the amount of space that you have and then figure out what you want to plant uh, before you even get to the store because you're going to get into a lot of impulse buys when you get to the store, just like we always do. You've ever gone shopping, grocery shopping, hungry, you come home with $400 worth of stuff going, what did I do? <laughs> Same thing happens in gardening. You want to have a plan in, in, in mind when you go. So if you've got like a back patio and containers, you want to get the most out of the patio. You want to plant something in the middle that's going to grow tall and lush and have things around it that can either grow moderately tall or either, uh, you know, they fall over the sides like oregano's or thymes and have parsley's around the sides to grow up and trim off of. You can get a lot of use out of one container if you do it right. So the biggest thing is look at your space and how much you want to spend. And from that, you can go on bonnieplants.com and almost make your shopping list of what you can take to the store, of what you're looking for. And each time you look on the website, every item tells you the space that is required for that plant. So you can lay out everything. You know how much space you need. Then it comes time for the dirty work. If you're planting in a container or a raised bed, make sure that you have a very good, well-drained soil. If you're planting in a container, be sure to drill holes in the bottom of it or have some type of way for the moisture to let out eventually. Also, you may want to blend in some type of rock to make sure that the, uh, the roots can go through and travel freely within that container. If you're doing a raised bed, same scenarios without the rocks. You want a good soil that can stand up that is moisture controlled. And in the ground, biggest thing you can do, soil test. Make sure that you have the right nutrients already in the soil. If not, you can go ahead and get them in the place. And from there, it's pretty much make sure you've got the right water and the proper fertilizer like the Monty Green Jug. Got it. So what about if I want to grow something indoors? I, I feel like I look on the, you know, Pinterest, all these websites, people have these like beautiful kind of lettuce centerpieces. Is there anything that you would recommend that does well in an indoor space? A lot of folks use fresh herbs or combo planters. Um, they'll put them in the windowsills. That is great. Uh, you know, the thing about that is I wouldn't necessarily go with lettuce unless it's on the outside. That way, you know, it can get uh, the right air and whatnot circulating through it. But a lot of folks use use the windowsills for the plants, especially with basil. They'll put a little planter inside the windowsill with basil, possibly take it out once or twice a week, let it get some fresh air. But, uh, you know, water it, trim it right off as you're making your fresh pesto or if you're just adding it to a salad, whichever way you like. But uh, herb-wise is your best bet on doing anything indoors. Um, I'm a big fan of using parsley's and basils uh, and even some oregano's at times. And I'm just curious about, you know, like kind of planting fads or, or style changes. And, you know, because Bonnie has been around for, for so long, I mean, can you give us a sense of like, how how quickly things come in and out of style and maybe some of the stuff that we should be looking for in particular in 2013? It changes year by year. Right now, herbs and peppers uh, are really becoming more and more popular. We've added uh, a grapefruit mint this year. Uh, it's really bright green leaves, and it tastes like you're eating a grapefruit. I mean, it has that flavor. Um, you know, peppers, again, like I said, you've got... The Carmen Sweet Italian, uh, most Italian, uh, you know, ethnicities are going to be very familiar with this. It's the one that you see a lot with the uh, the bullhorn style, uh, very sweet flavor. 
uh, in the bright red colors that you're used to seeing with that. Uh, and those plants, you know, a Carmen will bear all the way up until frost. A sangria pepper, you know, these are the green, orange, crimson uh, peppers that are really colorful, but they're going to pack a punch. Uh, it's it's not a hot pepper. It's only about a thousand to five thousand Scoville units, so it'll give you just a little tingle. Uh, other than that, uh, we've got a few varieties that are that are coming out. Uh, the Lasiento kale. Uh, it may be, you know, more known as the dinosaur-style kale, but uh, it's a great-looking uh, plant uh, for, for eating as well as, uh, you know, for looks on the property. Uh, it's just something that you can add aspect to, but it's one of those ones that you see a lot in the Italian wedding soups, the big pieces of kale that come with that. Uh, other than that, you know, that's that's kind of our, our big big hitters, so to speak, for this uh, this season coming up that we tested last year and uh, we're pretty happy with. But we've got some more in the in the garden this year. We're going to see how that turns out. Nice. I definitely am a big fan of the, of the kale. I think it looks like such an ancient plant to me. It's kind of like so wild. Yeah, this year was the first year I'd actually seen it. Um, it's just didn't really know what to expect. It's got the, the real dark blue, almost black, uh, heavy textured leaves. And it's just kind of uh, kind of weird looking. That's what I said. I, I'd like it almost in the landscaping aspect of just getting you a, a layer, you know, that mid-range layer because they get to two to three foot tall. Yeah, it's just like a way to make your backyard a little funky. So Exactly. You know, one of the things that always kind of confused me when I was a kid thinking about plants is I knew that some plants you had to plant every year and some plants you plant the one time and they kind of keep coming back. Does, does Bonnie focus on like one or, or the other a lot of our products are annuals, not perennials. Perennials are the ones that will come back every year. Uh, annuals, uh, generally, you know, you, you lose after that year. Uh, and, you know, you can sometimes, rosemary is can be a perennial depending on what, you know, zone you're in as well as lavender. Uh, but for the most part, a lot of our stuff is kind of focused for you to use for one season. Um, I do know of folks that have had tomatoes and they've, pulled them indoors into like hobby houses and, and grown them out and they will produce but you're not going to get you're going to get the majority of you know your your produce and the health of your plant during that that spring period or fall period whenever you're planting got it so when you're harvesting and, and can you know can how long can you expect to i mean we did mention with the tomatoes that some will come in over time i mean how do you kind of know when your plant is is done so to speak and then what do you do with it you really go by looks um you know if you've got a good healthy plant uh that you've kept growing and you know still green and everything keep going the bottom leaves are going to start dropping off as they age and as long as you still have good luscious green coming through there that's what you're going to want sometimes you'll see some yellow on the ends and starting to curl some somewhat as it ages uh but look at the look at the blooms if it's still setting blooms and it's still producing decently then you're good if it starts to to yellow and brown or starting to wilt then it's time to just, you know, chop it down, dig it up, put it in your compost pile, uh, whatever way you do about disposing of things like that. You know, whether the compost pile is probably going to be your best bet. And, uh, you know, just let it go back down in and let it com- compost itself, and you'll have uh, nutrients to put back into your soil. Uh, herbs, you can cut back parsleys. You can cut back cilantros. They will constantly produce. Uh, same thing with spinaches and lettuces. Uh, they will, you know, when you when you cut them back, they will sort of rejuvenate uh, and produce some more 
anytime you cut something back, it's going to be tender whenever you go off, especially with your greens like that. So, so like when I'm harvesting my lettuce and I just kind of chop it down close to the base of the plant, I can expect it to regrow? Exactly, yeah. Depending on what lettuce it is. If it's a head lettuce, it's not going to regrow because they make the heads. Romaine's going to be that torch. But with your buttercrunch lettuce or your leaf lettuces like red sails, you can literally go out there with your shears or scissors, chop off how much you want for the salad, throw it in the salad, and it's still going to keep producing just like spinach, arugula, Swiss chard. They all have that same characteristic. Oh, that sounds like a good fit for me. Well, Sydney, thank you so much for sharing some of your expertise and a little bit of the Bonnie story. Oh, thank you, Erin. I enjoyed it, and uh, you know, I wish everybody the best uh, in their gardens this season. Thank you. So for folks who want to find out more or kind of find a spot to uh, locate Bonnie Plants in their region, definitely check out their website, www.bonnieplants.com. This program, like all of our live weekly shows, can be found on iTunes for free as a download through Stitcher Smart Radio or visit our website, www.heritageradionetwork.org. Uh, if you like what you hear and we think you will, please consider clicking that Donate tab and becoming a member today. And until next Thursday, um, stay tuned in for another episode of The Farm Report. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. What's hot at the green market? You're about to find out now. It's the Grow NYC Market Update. All right, thanks for tuning in. We are on the line with Gene Hodesh of New York City's Green Markets, and we are taking a trip to Tribeca today. Gene, we are excited to go on this journey with you, so why don't you give us the breakdown? <laughs> Hi. So uh, I like the Tribeca market very much. It is um, actually pretty close to our green market offices on Chambers Street, so I like to head over there um, to pick up some produce myself. So this market is open. It's located just alongside this really beautiful little serene park, Washington Market Park. And the market itself is open year-round on Wednesdays and Saturdays. And it first opened in 1981, so it's been around in the community for a long time. And Tribeca has sort of grown up around it since then. Um, I was recently talking to Chef Mary Cleaver, who moved to the neighborhood in the early 80s, and she lived there for years, and she was just remembering. She said there was nothing there then, and she was remembering um, there was one preschool and just a handful of little restaurants, and so to raise money for the preschool, she used to organize bake sales, and she worked with some other mothers in the neighborhood to make a Tribeca community cookbook. And they also started this little street festival to raise money called Taste of Tribeca, and now you'll see you know, from kind of that, uh, you know, image of this neighborhood in the early 80s, if you go to the park now, you'll see tons of young families. There are now 12 preschools in the neighborhood, and um, the many fine dining establishments make Tribeca a destination not to be missed. And this year, Taste of Tribeca is going to take place on Saturday, May 18th, so it's coming right up. 
And since its sort of, you know, humble beginnings, it's blossomed into a full-blown culinary festival. And many of the restaurants who are going to be presenting tastes at the event, among them Marc Forgione, Terroir Wine Bar, the Cosmopolitan Cafe, they all shop at the Tribeca Green Market regularly. So you'll see their white coats of their chefs kind of in between all the loyal customers in the community. Um, but one of my favorite things about this market site is that the park that it's next to, Washington Market Park, is named for Washington Market, which was active through the 1800s and up until 1967 when it was moved to the Bronx to what is now known as the Hunts Point Market. But in its glory, Washington Market was New York's answer to Les Halles in Paris. It was huge and teeming with activity and all sorts of pushcart vendors selling everything from dairy, eggs, and meat to condiments, bonbons, and, of course, all this huge cornucopia of fresh fruits and vegetables. So I like to think of our neighborhood market as sort of an homage to that one that was there formerly, and I love that it keeps this tradition of farmers selling directly to customers alive in this neighborhood um, since, you know, it's a staple. It's what was always there. Well, I'm curious, you know, how offerings at the market have uh, changed over time, but mostly I'm curious about what I can find there uh, if I were to shop uh, in this day and age. <laughs> of course, <laughs> things you could actually buy now. <laughs> um, so uh, the lineup of farmers on Wednesdays and Saturdays is a little bit different, um, but it offers a really full range, everything from fish and protein to dairy. Um, so we've got baked goods from Francesca's Bakery, Bread Alone, and Hot Bread Kitchen. And then there's produce from Lonnie's Farm, Jersey's fa Jersey Farm. Uh, in the summer, Toygo Orchards comes in with beautiful stone fruit. Prospect Hill Orchards has amazing apples. There's honey from Apple State Hilltop Farm, chicken and eggs from Feather Ridge, milk yogurt and butter from Ronnie Brook, uh, fish from Blue Moon, and cheese from Valley Shepherd. And then there are gorgeous fresh-cut flowers from Labak Farm. And then in between that list, there's a whole lot more. So I would encourage you, if you live in the neighborhood or want to come visit, check out um, our market webpage for a full list of all the producers. And just a tip, Lonnie's Farm is there, and you might know them from Carroll Gardens or Union Square. They sell at Columbia, too. But they're going to be coming in any day now with their uh, really wonderful, sweet little strawberries. They're farming in South Jersey, so they'll be having the first strawberries in the market any day. Ooh, I'm excited for that. Um, well, so if we're over in the neighborhood, um, I know you mentioned the taste of Tribeca, but what else can we look forward to if we make a trip out of it? Sure. So uh, the market is happening. Taste of Tribeca kind of happens next to our market. So you can go for the festival and then buy your groceries as well. And then on any other day, um, you might come down and go to brunch at a number of restaurants. Odeon, Sarabas, Laconda Verde are all right there. Um, and then if you walk just a little bit farther west of the market, you could say pick up a, a picnic supplies for a picnic at the market, and then walk over to Nelson Rockefeller Park, which is just on the Hudson River. It's a really gorgeous spot to spend an afternoon or an evening in the summer. Lovely. Well, that that aside, um, what else should we be keeping our calendar clear for uh, that happenings in other spots around the green markets? Sure. So uh, we have more seasonal markets that are reopening in the coming weeks. So on Sunday, May 19th, the Windsor Terrace Market is going to open. And then on June 1st, uh, Socrates and Sunnyside Markets will open up in Queens, and the Bay Ridge Market will open up in Brooklyn. Uh, and then in terms of events, I would recommend people go to uh, a cider tasting, hard cider tasting at Jimmy's Number 43 this Friday from 6 to 9. It's um, a fundraiser for Breezy Hill Orchards, so it'll be sort of a sampling of the hard ciders that they produce. 
and they're trying to rebuild their historic cider house. So all of the funds will go towards that effort. Um, and then at Union Square, we've got Natural Gourmet doing a cooking demonstration featuring edible flowers on Saturday. Um, so I saw lilacs and wild violets for sale at Windfall Farms yesterday. So you can show up on Saturday and learn how to cook with them. And then uh, next week is Sustainable Seafood Week. So Saturday the 18th at Union Square, Phil Carlin of PE&DD will be doing a cooking demonstration. He'll teach you how to fillet fish. And then on May 22nd, it's a Wednesday from 6.30 to 8 in the evening, it's the Educated Eater, the first in our series of panel discussions for the year. So this one is going to be focusing on international cuisine cooked with local ingredients. And we have Chef Romy Dorotan from Purple Yam, um, Chef Christian Fredrickson of Amans Copenhagen, and uh, the author Hiroko Shimbo, who's a, a Japanese cook, they'll all be speaking about the food that they cook that's sort of representative of their backgrounds from around the world, about how they've adapted that cuisine to uh, feature ingredients that are grown locally. And they'll be talking with the farmers that they shop with. Lovely. Well, it sounds like a full docket for folks out there. So uh, thanks for taking some time out to give us the update, Jean. Sure. For folks who are interested in learning even more about the markets, definitely check them out at www.grownyc.org. You can get more info there on all of the farmers, the variety of markets across the city, volunteer opportunities, and a recap of those events that Jean mentioned. In the meantime, for the most in-the-moment updates, definitely follow them on Twitter, connect with them on Facebook, Tumblr, whatever your preferred uh, social media stream is, get it. And stay tuned in next week for another Grow NYC Market Update. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.